My title of the message is, What is Your Custom? What is your habit? What is your custom? We're going to be talking about that today. Uh, last week, Virgil gave a great message on showing compassion to the lost. And we know we need to have compassion for those who are outside of our household of faith. I mean, you guys sense the presence of God when you come in here, and we're so blessed to actually participate in that presence. But how many millions of people outside of the church doors in our nation and around the world are in despair, are in misery and agony, incredible suffering and pain, without hope? They have no hope. Life is a cruel joke. I used to think, um, I used to think, I wish I had never been born because it's a joke. The best thought I could come up with, the most profound statement that I could think was this. I have the ability to understand that I can never understand the meaning of life. I mean, that's as far as I could get. That's the best I could do. That's meaningless. So uh, when you read about Ecclesiastes and the teacher says, meaningless, 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 vanity, 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 there's a world outside of these doors that are living that. They're in that despair. They're floating in a sea of meaninglessness just like me and just like you were before you came and had your eyes open. Uh, so I so appreciate, Virgil, uh, opening our eyes to the need to have compassion for the lost. So I really want to continue with his theme. And today I want to talk about how can we have compassion for the lost. Wouldn't that be good? Uh, because there's a lot of people that really need us to show them the way. And uh, I want to talk to you today about building ministry habits. Okay, how are we going to show compassion to the lost? We are going to build ministry habits or customs. And let me give you a quick definition of a habit. A habit is an event that comes through faithful repetition of the event. Would you agree? So a prayer habit is a prayer event that was exercised through faithful repetition. If you want a ministry habit, that is simply one ministry event repeated through faithful repetition. Now we all know about bad habits which would be the singular event of eating a piece of pie through faithful repetition. <laughs> Do I hear an amen? <laughs> All right, so we understand pie and we understand repetition. All right, so I want to apply that concept to ministry. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about uh, ministry habits I'm not really specifically talking about those habits that are going to build and edify the church, though there's an overlap. I'm really talking about those habits that we can have to reach the lost with compassion. Okay, so that's really what I want to focus on today. And I'd like you guys uh, to write things down. If you get an idea from something you hear, the Holy Spirit shows you something today, I want you to write it down because at the end I want to give you a challenge to actually, in this next upcoming year, I want you to develop 
that ministry idea that came to you, and I want you to turn it into a habit. Okay? So that's, that's where we're going with this whole message. Um, so let's talk about some habits. Jesus had a few habits. They were all good. They were all good. I'm sure he had a raisin, piece of raisin cake or two. <laughs> let's take a look at Luke 22, 39. 39 and 40. Uh, This is right before Christ was about to be crucified. He was going into the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, 39. And it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. Key word, right? And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So why was he going into the Garden of Gethsemane, as was his custom to pray? In fact, the disciples knew his custom, because how did Judas know where to lead the Romans to take him into captivity? See, Judas was one of the twelve. So Judas knew that Jesus had a custom or habit of going to the Mount of Olives and praying. And so unfortunately, Satan used that custom for evil, but he didn't realize that what Satan intended for evil, God completely turned upside down, overthrew it, and exalted Jesus Christ to the right hand of the throne on high. That's good news. All right, so customs can be used for evil, but today we're talking about customs being used to glorify God. So Jesus had a custom of praying. And there's other places in the scripture where he went away alone to a mountaintop. He went away alone into the wilderness to pray. Right? Well, what do you think he was praying for? Here we are. I mean, aren't we the fruit of his prayers? Thank God that Jesus prayed for a church. Guarantee he was praying for his church, his bride to be birthed. So we want, to, we want to have and develop strong prayer habits. Would you agree? Praying for the lost, specifically. I'm talking about the lost today. Let's take a look at Paul. I'm sorry, let's, let's take a look at one more thing that Jesus did that had a custom of doing in Luke 4.16. Jesus had a custom of teaching. So 4.16 Uh, He was going to his hometown, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Isn't that wonderful? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book. All eyes were fixed upon him. He said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he makes a few more statements. They get upset with him. They take him to the brow of a hill and try to kill him. All because he had a custom of going into the synagogue. Now, what was he doing in the synagogue? He was teaching. But it wasn't teaching um, maybe so much like we're teaching, I'm teaching now, or Pastor Willie would teach. He was teaching them 
that there was a Messiah that had arrived on the scene. Would you agree? Jesus wasn't just in the synagogue to raise his hand and praise God like everybody else, and that was it. Okay, Jesus was in the synagogue to reveal himself as the Messiah that has come in fulfillment of the Scriptures. So in other words, his teaching ministry was really compassion towards the lost. You say, well, I didn't, the Jews had the Old Testament, they had the Torah, how could they be lost? Well, they weren't lost as far as the revelation of Yahweh, but they were lost because they didn't know Yahweh's son was coming on the scene. So Jesus had to testify, hey, Yahweh sent his son. Here I am. And Jesus had, according to his custom, he would go into the synagogues. Um, I read uh, one, one book I read said Jerusalem claimed to have 300-some synagogues just in the area. So uh, can you imagine the teaching ministry that Jesus would have to go in to reveal the compassion to the lost as he taught the people about himself? So pretty critical. Uh, Jesus' prayer ministry had a prayer habit. Jesus had a habit of teaching people about himself, basically. Uh, he was coming on the scene. The Apostle Paul, of course, also got in on the action. After the Apostle Paul was saved, it became his custom to go into the synagogues. So Acts 13, 14, let's see what happened with him. It said, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said... And he launched into a presentation of the gospel. Okay? Uh, you don't have any more of these, but you turn the page. Chapter 14, when he went to Iconium, guess what was in Iconium? A synagogue. Now it happened at Iconium for 14.1 that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. What's going on in the synagogues? We're preaching the gospel in the synagogues. It's, it's not just a church service to edify the Jews. Okay, I want you to see there's a, a ministry habit being developed here through Jesus and through Paul. You turn the page again. You go to uh, Philippi. There was a prayer meeting going down on the river. Some scholars say that Philippi didn't have a synagogue because they didn't have the ten Jews required to start it. So Lydia's down on the river, and with the other Jews, they're praying. Paul comes down, leads her to the Lord, and the church at Philippi is birthed. Turn the page again. Thessalonica. Paul goes to the synagogue. Turn the page again. Berea. Paul goes into the synagogue. Corinth. Paul goes into the synagogue. Ephesus. Paul goes into the synagogue. The interesting thing about the synagogue is this. Um, the synagogue, the scholars believe, came about really through the exile. 
Remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews captive, completely destroyed the temple, destroyed the wall, took the Jews into captivity to Babylon, took the gold. Um, And Jeremiah's prophecy was that 70 years later, the Jews would be sent back to the promised land. And that's exactly what happened. And if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah lead groups of people and they come back to Jerusalem. And then, of course, God raises, raised up Zechariah and other prophets to encourage them, you guys need to rebuild the temple. But by that time, with the temple being devastated, the people were discouraged, something new happened. And they think that, um, they think that the idea for the synagogue came at that time period because if you read Ezra in a number of places, is gathering the people and teaching them the law and the commandments. And so they think that through Ezra's gathering the people and teaching him that this idea of synagogue evolved. There were some references. uh, We don't really know when the synagogue first came to be built, but there was one inscription in Egypt in the 3rd century B.C., and there was another inscription in the 1st century B.C. So sometime, you know, a couple hundred years before Christ, the idea of the synagogue started to come, and synagogues were actually built. Uh, The whole point is by the time of Jesus... There were synagogues scattered everywhere there was a Jewish community, in all the whole Roman Empire, okay, in Rome, in Antioch, Pisidia, in Berea, in Thessalonica, in Corinth, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Caesarea. So there's synagogues everywhere. What's the point? Well, what was happening in the synagogue? The gospel was being preached. And what happened after the gospel was preached? All these people started getting saved and churches were birthed. What was the ministry strategy of the Apostle Paul after he got saved? To go into the cities and the first thing he did was he went into the synagogues. He preached the gospel, people got saved, he started the church and the revolution was launched. And the idea that I had is the synagogues were the womb which gave birth to the church, really in the first century. You say, now I'm not discounting the the Holy Spirit at all. I think you understand my point. The Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, right? So now they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter launches his first sermon. 3,000 people get saved. He wasn't in the synagogue. But God used as a ministry strategy the synagogue to birth the church that continues to this day 2,000 years later. So Paul had a ministry habit. Every city he went into, that's what he did. That's what Jesus' custom was. Jesus went into the synagogue to teach the people. People got healed. Demons were cast out. And the gospel and the good news of the kingdom went forth, didn't it? So I want you to see in the first century, this is astounding. I mean, you guys have have probably heard and thought about this. Why, you know, the Romans were the conquerors of the known world. I mean, they were the daddy rabbits of their day. So they um, (laughs) they built this whole highway infrastructure. The entire Roman Empire was connected by good roads. And along comes the gospel. So now the gospel could just go all over the place because God had a setup. It was called highways. Well, God also had a setup that we don't think about, and they were called synagogues. So when Jesus and Paul came on the scene, they were able to exploit the opportunity and preach the gospel through the synagogues. How about us today? 
where are the synagogues we go to? We're not going to go to the literal synagogues here in our city. They're not into us Gentiles. If you haven't figured it out, the church is mostly Gentiles now. Um, I'm not saying that condescendingly. That's just the way it is. So we're not going to be received in the physical synagogues. However, there are synagogues that we can take advantage of and build these ministry opportunities, aren't there? In fact, there's a multitude of it. Um, 30, 40 years ago, Billy Graham discovered a synagogue. It was called TV. Jerry Falwell. Um, Billy Graham undisputedly has preached the gospel to more people on the planet than anyone in past history because he saw the synagogue and he developed it into a ministry habit that God blessed and anointed him. And it's bore incredible fruit, hasn't it? Say, well, I'm not Billy Graham. You're right. Neither am I. (laughs) But Billy's just a man, wasn't he? And he just happened to discover what God had called him to do. So I want to talk to you. Are there some things we can do as a church to build ministry habits so we can reach the lost and show them compassion? It really starts with the family, doesn't it? Those of us with children, those of us that are married and have kids, it's got to start in the home. And we have a picture coming up. Yeah, we do. If I don't have a ministry opportunity here, I'm about useless. I mean, really. Um, But praise God that He counted me and Debbie faithful to give us two little boys. Because we're going to develop and are developing a ministry opportunity in our household. And I want to encourage you with that. Uh, When they wake up, they read their Bibles and they write in their journals. Because my wife likes to write in her journals. And she gives them the Word of God in the morning. When I come home from work, we sit at the dinner table, we memorize Scripture, we just recite verses at the table, then I get the Bible and I read the Bible to them again at dinner time. When we go to bed, we go, um, we read the Bible again. We're reading through the Bible at bedtime. And we're up to Esther right now. And after we read the Bible at bedtime, then we pray. And we pray for all the little boys and girls that they play with on the street. So they're understanding that there is a difference between us and them. And it's not a difference for condescension. It's a difference of compassion. Because their little boys and girls that they're playing with on the street don't have parents that know Jesus Christ. So we pray for their friends. And we pray for the boys and girls in the orphanage in Taiwan where they came from. So my boys are learning a ministry habit of prayer, a ministry habit of reading the Bible, and then we have a praise time, we sing songs, and then they go to bed. So they get it three times a day uh, by the grace of God. So we're going to develop some ministry habits with these two little boys right here. I want to encourage you, it's never too late if, if you're sporadic. Say, God, help me to develop this more as a habit. You know? And every time you read the word synagogue in the book of Acts, just think of the ministry habit that you're going to develop in your home. Grandmothers, grandfathers, you can help, can't you? Those of you that are single, you're getting ready for marriage. You might want to be married, right? So when you get married, right now is the time to be developing ministry habits of prayer, praise, thanksgiving, Bible study, so that when you do have children, you can develop the habits with them and we can continue perpetuating the church until Jesus comes back. So it starts 
in the home. Um, it also continues into our personal lives. Uh, God has given me a couple things to do this year. I'll share them with you briefly uh, to minister. One I was really tickled with a couple months ago. Uh, just came to me. Uh, a young man is in prison in Amherst Jail. Um, and he used to be part of this church years ago. And I just really felt led to go up to the jail. And I, I had ordination papers, so they let me in. Uh, his parent couldn't even get in where I could. So I go up to the jail, and I was meeting with him and started a Bible study. I could get in. I didn't have to talk through the plexiglass. I could go into the cell and sit down with him. Uh, pretty sparse conditions, but it was great. I mean, this, and he's getting excited about the Lord again through the Bible studies. Then he had a friend. He said, well, can I bring my friend? I said, yeah, bring your friend. So then he brought his friend, and I think his friend is saved. So now we got this great Bible study every Friday night. I've made it a ministry habit. I've done it every single Wednesday for two months. I go up there. I don't care how busy I am. I don't, they, I've got to give those people the gospel. They're going to get out around Christmas and the New Year, and when they come out, I want them to be built up, edified. I want them to follow Christ and run the race. And, I mean, that's just the grace of God, and it, it's just awesome. Another thing that God gave me was um, I had the idea probably about a month ago to do a devotional uh, for the teachers at Heritage High School. And so what I did was I typed a devotional. I set it around all the teachers in the math department and said, if you would like to continue receiving this, just shoot me an email. So in other words, if they didn't want to receive it, no pressure on them, I would take them off the distribution list. So most of them emailed me back saying they wanted to receive this, including a woman who was not a believer uh, that I've been praying for for seven years. So now, three times a week, I send out a devotional, unapologetic. I mean, I'm not... It's not a watered-down devotional. I mean, we go straight into the scriptures, and it's designed to build and edify the teachers. And then I started expanding it to other teachers, and other teachers were emailing me, say, hey, I'd like to receive your devotionals. So now I got all these teachers inside Heritage receiving my devotionals three times a week. And I thought, you know, what if I go to some Christians in other schools and see if they'd want to receive it? But I've done that three, two to three times a week faithfully. I'm, I'm trying to develop that as a ministry habit. Okay, so that's my custom. So that's what I'm going to be known. I want to be a good teacher. I, want, I need to have fruit as a good teacher, but I also want to be known as a teacher who encourages and edifies and is always serving in my school. Okay, so I want to build these ministry habits in my life. That's what I do. Another one is um, the Carrington. Uh, we mentioned the Jefferson House. We'll talk about that in a second, but uh, we've been ministering at the Carrington a little more sporadically for three years now. And I've gone over there. There was a, a pastor, retired. Um, he's, he's pretty much bedridden, and he has nobody to come and visit him. His family doesn't come and visit him. And he's pretty much wanted to quit, just quit ministering. He was a pastor in this area for 30 years. And now he's just, I'm done. I mean, so we're just going to let him lie in bed and just dry up on the vine. I'm done. I don't, you know, I can't minister anymore. It's, it's not worth it. I don't know what is. I don't know. He, I, I haven't been able to get out of him why he stopped. But for three years, I've been going to encourage him and pray with him, and he'll let me do it. They're out there. There's, these people are out there, and and they're looking. <clears throat> Actually, they don't, they're not even looking. They're not even looking, but we should be looking, 
Virgil's message, we should be looking to show compassion on the lost. And so, if we're willing, God will take a willing body and say, I got somebody over here at the Carrington. I want you to go over here. Oh, there's two boys in Taiwan. I just learned this. Um, Jonathan shared with me two days ago that he was crying one night in the orphanage and he really wanted a mommy and a daddy. And God knows who to raise up. And so he puts his finger thousands of miles away. He he moved mountains for us to go there. We didn't have the money for twenty to thirty thousand dollar adoption fees. What's that to God? When there's an open heart, he'll shake the earth. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over the earth in Lynchburg. He's looking at the people at the Carrington. He's looking at the people in the orphanages. He's looking at the people in the streets. And he's looking for us to say, God, direct me. I'm ready to go. I can go. I can show some compassion. I've got time for one hour on a Saturday to go to a nursing home. Don't we? Yeah, we do. I was talking to Rose Flanagan. We had a an announcement at the beginning of church about Thanksgiving over at the Jefferson House. It's awesome. You know how long we've been at the Jefferson House? She thought it was uh, close to 10 years. Rose lives at the Jefferson House. And she asked me 10 years ago, could we come over there and do something? Because she had, she saw, she saw the kid, The people at the, these assisted living places and these nursing homes, they don't have any money. They don't have much. I mean, they're, they're provided for, but where she lives, a lot of those people don't have enough money for food. Is that right? And so Rose saw a need. And so she asked, could you guys help? And so we put together a team. A faithful ministry habit has been happening in this church once a month. For the last 10 years, we go over there and do a church service. Not all those residents are saved. And I praise God for people the Van Gerps and Lee and Jan and Ed and all those of you, I I don't even know everyone who's going over there because I know different people are going over there. I praise God that you guys are going over there um, because these residents are in the twilight of their lives. And nobody's going to visit them unless we go. And you're going. And that's awesome. I really appreciate Rose. Thank you. Thanks for uh, sharing the need with us. And thank you that faithfully go over there once a month and love them. We're taking it. We're, we've got a ministry habit here that is bearing fruit in this church and in this community. And that's exciting. Uh, Lee and Jan, I'd like to have you guys come up. Uh, Lee and Jan, some of you that are new in the last months, I uh, may not recognize Lee and Jan. Uh, Lee and Jan have been long-standing members of Cornerstone Community Church. Uh, Lee and Jan uh, travel, so that's why you might not see them as much anymore. Why don't you guys come on up here? And Lee and Jan have had ministry opportunities that have become ministry habits. And so I'd like to ask them to just share uh, what you're doing. Um, maybe what led you to do it, uh, some of the things that you do, and maybe some of the results that you've seen God use you 
uh, to work where you're working. So tell us how long have you been doing it and, and some things like that. Okay, I want to start off with a disclaimer. Uh, I, I don't want to, uh, you to think I'm some example of a, a great evangelist or anything, because I'm not. In fact, when it comes to witnessing, uh, I'm a chicken. And uh, I'm sure none of you are. <laughs> but uh, I'm a certified introvert, and it even uh, takes energy for me, for, uh, for me to uh, even meet uh, new people. But uh, one of the things that helped sober me is uh, in Matthew, you know, uh, Jesus told the parable of the talents. And he gave some five and some uh, three and some one. And what they did, and he commended them for taking their talent and using it. But then there was one who did not. He buried his talent. And he said to the Lord as an excuse, I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. And see, you have what is yours. Now, what has the Lord given us? The Lord has saved us from hell. He has given us eternal life. He has put us in his family. He has made us his... Uh, uh, younger brother, uh, he has given us everything. And uh, we have a great debt that we owe him. And that's part of the talent. Well, this, the one who was afraid says, I'm, I hit it in the ground, this is what is yours. But his master answered him and said to him, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered not, no seed then you ought to have put the money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. So now what I'm doing, I don't know if it qualifies as, as investing the talent or at least just putting money in the bank, putting something in the it bank qualifies. and taking, it qualifies. <laughs> taking what the Lord has given us. And so we have developed some talents together, or some, uh, I mean, rather some habits together, and personally I've done some. One of the, the habits that I have uh, developed at this point, being a chicken introvert that I am, I find that one way of uh, possibly helping someone to go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is to use tracks. Now, for many years, I didn't like to use tracks because most of them looked embarrassing to me. They weren't, I'm a graphic designer and they looked bad and I thought, who's going to want that? But I discovered a few years ago, uh, the way of the master ministry. So I always have tracks. I've got some in my day timer. I usually have, my right pocket is for my track, the left pocket is for the day timer. Yeah, I have to have at least two pockets. Uh, I've got some in my truck. I've got a stash at home. I've got a stash in our mountain house. And so <clears throat> I've gotten a habit wherever I go, I look for an opportunity to leave the tracks. Uh, if you go in the, the uh, restroom, you know, there's the toilet paper dispensary. Put one there. Somebody's sitting there. They've got nothing else to do. They're reading a good track. You know? <laughs> uh, if I go up, uh, go to the supermarket, I've got a little track that has a little magic trick. And I say, you like, do you like magic tricks? And, it's, and mostly they'll say, yeah. And it's, and it's a little simple thing. It takes about 30 seconds. Uh, and they usually enjoy that. And on the back is a gospel. I say, now, you, I guarantee you can make this work. There's a gospel message in the back. Um, 
There's one I think it's, it's fun to leave. It looks like a wallet full of money. And uh, just drop that on the ground <laughs> and stand back and, and watch somebody pick it up. And it's got a gospel message in there. It says, if this, <laughs> if this was a, a real uh, wallet, what would you do with it? And it gets somebody to recognize. And all these focus on the Ten Commandments to start off with. Because, as the Apostle Paul said, the, the law is the schoolmaster to lead us to grace. Explain what you're doing with that down in Florida. And in Florida, uh, one of the habits we developed, was our plan is this coming winter for the sixth winter in a row, uh, doing hardship duty in Florida in the winter. <laughs> uh, we volunteer at uh, Space Coast Seafarers Ministry. This is an outreach to the crew members from the cargo ships and uh, cruise ships, not the passengers, but the crew members. And they work seven days a week. Uh, one of the ships is very proud of the fact that they don't let them work more than 70 hours a week. Some of them for as little as $50 a month plus tips. Some of them get as much as 500 a month in tips. Uh, they work hard, and they're separated from their families typically six to eight months. Half of them, at least, are married with children. They're from all over the world, from over 80 different countries, a lot from India and the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, South America. And they're, they're lonely, and most of them are not Christians, although there are some very strong, dedicated Christians among the crew. And Seafarers provides a ministry to them. We've, we have a hospitality center. They have um, free Internet access where they use Skype and they talk to their families back home. We have cheap phone cards, um, <clears throat> a number of other things to provide for them. And many of them feel like this is like a family, uh, a home away from home for them. And so Jan and I have been involved with that. I, I drive the van. I clean toilets. I... Uh, lead Bible studies, uh, we uh, help them with the computers, do all kinds of things. And they're there and they're very open. These are people that are, uh, they're away from home. If they're Muslims or Hindus or nominal Christians, uh, they're very open to hearing about who Jesus Christ is and what difference he can make. Jan works, uh, at least they're as hard or harder than I do down there. <laughs> Well, Lee and I have actually been we're reaching out to internationals for as long as we've been married, which is 43 years. And I had an early start because my dad was born in Sweden, so it started right in the house. And, uh, you know, you were talking about customs and habits, and you learn that people from different parts of the world have different customs and habits, just like we do. And you learn to accept that and appreciate that. I mean, I grew up eating pickled herring. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I found out that was raw fish that I'd been eating all those years. But um, down there we have many, many opportunities, and our chaplain was just here. His daughter looked at Liberty University this weekend, and he shared some things with our group Thursday night and last night. And one of the things he said was, when you meet their emotional and their physical needs, that gives you a platform to share the gospel. And so that's what we try to do. And if you think about how you feel when someone is treating you so that you feel loved and accepted, it makes you feel really good. And when you're from another country and you're lonely and you miss your family, you appreciate it. And there's one volunteer 
all she would do is go up to somebody and say, hey, buddy, you know what? I really love you and give them a hug. And they appreciated that. Just somebody would do that for them. So that's what we spend a lot of time doing. And there's many opportunities around here. You have Randolph-Macon, you have Liberty. There are many internationals working and living in Lynchburg. So just look for opportunities. When we're down there, um, one of the things I do is I fix lunch for 75 people each day. And uh, so I spend a lot of time in the kitchen, but I do get out to eat with everyone. And so we're just blessed. We're going to have a, a three-bedroom house. So if some of you have a week and want to come down and work hard in January or February, just let us know. We'll be glad to have you come down. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Lee. Um, I really appreciate Lee and Jan's testimony because they have... They have fostered a habit of ministry throughout their entire lives. Now, Lee has worked full-time. Uh, he's been, he worked at community college. Uh, so those of you who say, well, I have a job. I can't, I don't have time to do anything. You do have time. Uh, they have made time to minister, and they're an example to the body. That's why I wanted to have them come share with us. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you, Lee and Jan. So let's give God a hand. As I close this part of it, um, I'd like to come back to that challenge. Some of you guys need to start a ministry habit this coming year, whether it's to do it with your children. It's got to start with your children if you have children. Um, you really need to get that strong. But is there something you can do? There's so many things out there, guys. You realize the Internet is, is as big as the synagogue or bigger? I mean, the Internet is huge. I had this thought while I was praising the other morning. I thought, you know, what if the church in Lynchburg had a contest open to anybody who wanted with a big prize, $10,000, for the most creative gospel presentation that would be put on YouTube? And so now you got hundreds of people doing videos, right? Because they want to win the money. But they also have a heart because they, they want the gospel to go out. So you award the prize, you know, maybe the top five or whatever. And so you got a hundred YouTube videos done cre uh, professionally, done creatively, and you just put them all on YouTube and just flood YouTube with gospel presentations. How many people on the planet watch YouTube? I don't know. I, I guarantee it's a lot. It's more than the number of synagogues. It's more than the people that were reached by the synagogues. Isn't that incredible? And it's, it would be a piece of cake to do it. A contest. We could do it in our church. But I need, I need the teenagers. I need the high school students. I need the college students. I need the young adults. You guys need to rise up and use the creativity of your generation. Go ahead and start texting people with the gospel. Go ahead and do it. Use, use your two thumbs for God's glory. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I mean, you know, Barna does this big research project. This up-and-coming generation isn't um, sharing the gospel like we did. They're not doing the moral confrontations. Uh, they're using all the instant messaging. Duh. <laughs> I mean, no kidding. So do it. You college students, you guys... Young adults, you guys need to take advantage of, of the media, of the Internet. Um, some of you have gifts of writing. You need to write somebody. I don't care if it's on the Internet. I don't care if it's your niece. 
you have a niece, a nephew, a younger brother, an older brother, an uncle, a somebody, you can write. Those of you that like writing letters, you need to develop a ministry habit. You've got an unsaved niece that needs a letter from you once a month. You do. How are they going to hear? And You don't just preach and beat them over the head in your letters. You take an interest in their lives, right? And you share your life with them. And that you slowly talk about the Lord with them as they seem to receive it from you. I mean, that's not a hard thing to do, is it? Uncles, cousins. I mean, that's, that's cake. But I'm, I'm just trying to give you guys some ideas that you can develop a habit with this year. All right? Some of you guys have already shown you to do that. You need to do it. You need to do it. Phone calls. Somebody visits somebody. The nursing home. We've already talked about nursing home. If you have a family member in town... Get up with them once a month, once a week, and just talk with them. Get involved in their life. There's so many things that we can do, can't we, to reach out and develop these ministry habits. So I want to challenge you, the congregation, to develop one ministry habit this year. Now, if you're already just pouring out and you're to the point of exhaustion, I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm not trying to put burdens on people. I'm just trying to encourage you. There's tremendous blessing when you can reach out and develop these habits. Tremendous blessing. I'd like to do one more. My time somehow got quenched, but I'd like to go to the detention center and develop one more ministry habit there uh, because I can take people to the detention center. I want to take you guys where I go, and I can't take you to the jail in Amherst because you have to have um, you have to be ordained to get in up there, so I'd, I'd like to do that, and I just haven't done that, but maybe God will give me the grace to develop that ministry habit, and we can go as a church up to, to the uh, detention center and minister to the teens there. Um, so I'd like to conclude this portion by just that challenge. Father, we thank you that uh, you are the God who showed up on the scene. Jesus Christ came as God incarnate, and I just want to say thank you for your compassion and mercy which you've shown to us. Lord, I ask you to help us develop ministry habits at Cornerstone in people's families, in people's lives, and through this church and uh, would spread throughout the entire earth, Lord, and, and bring you great glory and honor. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.